Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to this holiday edition of Encounter God's Truth with Dr. John Whitcomb. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today we're continuing a series from the book of Job called Thankful in Spite of Trouble. We're turning to chapters 38 to 41 for a message on being thankful for what God reveals. Here, Job learns about the wonders of creation directly from the one who laid the foundation of the earth. Hearing this, he's encouraged to trust in God's providential care. We hope this message will prepare you for a great week of Thanksgiving. Here now to teach us is Dr. Whitcomb. Friends, the amazing conclusion to the book of Job, God speaks. The longest speech, as a matter of fact, in the whole Bible. Friends, during this Thanksgiving season, let us thank God that he has ever spoken to us in his precious word, illumined, yes, by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And so the book of Job, this amazing story of a man that God deliberately afflicted to prove to Satan, demons, and all human beings from that day to this, that God makes absolutely no mistakes in the lives of his people. So here begins the longest speech in the whole Bible, Job 38, 39, 40, 41. The amazing things that he answered Job out of the whirlwind. You remember it was a whirlwind that killed his family back in chapter 1. This time out of the whirlwind comes a voice the voice of God to Job. So as J. Sidlow Baxter put it, God now breaks into the profound but pathetic dialogue and these five men are struck dumb. No glib answer to human suffering here. Would a human author have ended the book this way? Just 70 questions that God asked Job to answer. God's natural government is complex. How much more than his moral government God can't explain suffering or it could never accomplish his purpose. He doesn't do that. God is concerned and therefore speaks to Job. Job needs to trust God himself. Job is now sad how sad he was that he allowed his three friends to provoke him to rash words about God. Now, of course, God answers us in Jesus Christ, his beloved son, who suffered for us on that cross and showed his infinite concern for every one of us who bear his image and his likeness. So Job is brought to the end of himself. Now, chapter 38, God is now speaking to Job and asks this question, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, gird up your loins, speaking to Job, like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. He's going to ask him 70 questions. You know, someone has said that the very fact that God speaks to Job is really enough for him now. The topic is not therefore ultimate. They are friends now, enjoying each other. Satan and demons are never explained. Still, he must live, like we do, by naked faith, never seeing all the answers in this world. God led him through the garden of his world now, which God enjoys and wants us to enjoy with him as our guide. So he said, Job, sit down. Let's talk. Are you ready? Job 38, 4. Where were you? God said to him, when I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Now listen to this description of how he beautifully designed this marvelous, mysterious, observable planet Earth. The only inhabitable planet, by the way, in the universe, according to Isaiah 45, 18. He set its measurements, stretched out the line on it, sank bases around it, laid the cornerstone just like a building, point by point, step by step, 
stage by stage. And what happened when all this was happening, according to Genesis chapter 1? It was created, what? An incomplete, yes, but perfect world. Step by step, that perfect world became more and more complete till finally it was an appropriate home for Adam and Eve and all of us. And what happened during those days of creation? Perhaps you didn't know this, friends. Verse 7, the morning stars were singing together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now remember, sons of God, B'nai Elohim means what? Angels, direct creatures of God. They were what? They were shouting for joy. That includes Satan before his fall. When they saw planet Earth, that was the only planet they knew in the universe where they would have a ministry, a function. You remember Hebrews 1.14, they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who should be heirs of salvation, namely human beings. They have no ministry, no presence, no concern for Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus. There's nobody there. But this planet amazed them. This is the first part of the physical universe God created, planet Earth. Not till day four, you remember, were, were the other planets created and the stars, and especially, of course, the sun and the moon. Thank you, Lord, for that. Now, beginning verse 8, Job 38, verse 8. He's going to describe the oceans. After the flood, you remember what he did to those oceans? Verse 11, he said, Thus far you shall come, but no further. Here shall your proud waves stop. That's the rainbow covenant. You'll never cover the earth again with water, as God did during that flood in the days of Noah. Then he describes the amazing things of this world system. The, the crack of dawn in the morning. How beautiful. Verse number 12. And about the springs of the seas and their death. And the way of light and darkness. My. And, he, you know, in, in a loving, laughing irony, he says to Job, verse 20, you, you, you know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. And surely, dear Job, you were there when it happened. You know all these things, don't you? You know, you think, dear friends, like I do. I was a godless evolutionist at Princeton University in 1942 and 43. And I was taught amazing things about this world, that it was billions of years old, that every living thing traces back to something that just appeared in the ancient ocean by pure chance, activated by solar radiation, lifeless chemicals, from which we have all evolved. And I say, Lord, Lord, help me. Forgive me for believing such absurdities. No, everything, dear friends, was designed and created by God supernaturally, or there wouldn't be any living world. There wouldn't be an inhabited planet at all. And God invited Job to look at what else? The snow, verse 22, the hail, and the, 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 the wind, and the lightning, and the thunder, and the rain. And, and look at this, verse 29 and 30. From whose womb has come the ice and the frost of heaven? Who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. In Bible lands, friends, the ocean never freezes, the Mediterranean. This must have been during this time, uh, several hundred years after the flood, when the so-called Ice Age uh, characterized the higher latitudes of this planet for maybe six or seven hundred years. And even today, in those parts of the world, the Ice Age is still there. But down into the Mediterranean even, Job saw the ocean hard like stone. And I say, that is amazing. God says to Job also, look at the universe above you. Uh, the Pleiades, Orion, the bear, with their satellites, those stars. You, you, you know the ordinances of heaven. Are f uh, do you know them, Job? 
Do you understand who fixes their rule above the earth? And I say, Lord, how amazing. Then he talks about clouds and lightning. And and verse 36, here's a challenge. Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or has given understanding to the mind? The only creatures in this world that have a mind, that have a conscience, that can communicate in abstract symbolic language are humans who have the image and likeness of God that came not by time through chance, friends. By evolution, nothing is evolving anywhere ever on this planet. The second law of thermodynamics shows that things are deteriorating, collapsing, decaying. Nothing is being added. No new information is being added to anything on this planet. And I say, Lord, you're the, you're the, the designer. Through Jesus Christ, your son, things were designed and created. Thank you. Thank you, God. Now we begin to look at the animal kingdom in verse 39. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Look at those animals when they crouch in their dens and lie and wait in their lair. And, and friends, point after point, case after case, through chapter 39, he points to these beautiful, marvelous, complex animals, birds, mammals, and so forth. And finally, the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. God challenged him. Job, do you understand what you've been saying about me through these many, many months? Well, that that really got Job's attention, dear friends. He isn't ready to totally repent, as we'll see in chapter 42, but he has an initial work in his heart that he acknowledges. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer, even twice, and I'll I'll add no more. Now, somewhat evasive, friends, no real confession or submission, but contrast some of the things he had said earlier in the book of Job in chapters 10, 13, 14, and so forth. Uh, Job had silenced his friends. Now God is going to silence him. And then begins God's second speech, his great glorious power. Chapter 40, verse 6, friends, The Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Of course, that's being facetious. You don't instruct God, do you? Do I? Absolutely not. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder a voice like his? Well, of course, these rhetorical questions have only one answer, don't they? God's infinite dignity and his unique power to cope with the wicked, which is the main problem in all the debates throughout the book. Job must trust God more in these areas without demanding answers. Only God can destroy creatively, changing evil to good. Satan is not our model. Grace is beyond mere justice. God is greater than Job ever imagined possible. Is that your thought and mine during this Thanksgiving season, friends? Do we thank him for who he really, really is? He knows what he's doing when he evaluates every human being on this planet. Job 40, verses 6 to 14. Now comes something for eight-year-old boys. And I was an eight-year-old boy once upon a time, friends, about 80 years ago. Dinosaurs. Now, these are the last two animals God talks about. Absolutely spectacular. Thousands of years ago, after the Tower of Babel, there were still dinosaurs on the earth. Listen to this. Job chapter 40, verse 15. Behold now, behemoth, 
which I made as well as you. Behemoth, what does that mean? Well, the footnote of my study Bible suggests a hippopotamus or an elephant. Oh, you, you can't be serious. Listen, as God describes him, this gigantic beast. He eats grass like an ox. He's an herbivore. Behold now his strength in his loins, his power in the muscles. of Look at that enormous abdominal region in his body. Verse 17, this, this does it, friends. He bends his tail like a cedar tree. Ever seen the tail of a hippopotamus or an elephant? They are disqualified. This was an animal that walked the earth with a tail dragging behind him like a tree, a cedar tree. A perfect description of a brontosaurus, a patasaurus, an enormous cold-blooded reptile. Seventy. We found their skeletons in our western states, the western provinces of Canada and elsewhere. Enormous cold-blooded reptiles, dinosaurs. My but listen to this. His bones like tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. That settles it. The greatest animal that ever walked the earth. My. Well, where was he? Now remember, this is about 4,500 some years ago. Listen to this. He lies down under the lotus plants in the covert of the reeds and the marshes in a swamp, Job. The lotus plants cover him with shade. The willows of the brook surround him. Now watch verse 23, friends. If a river rages, floods, he is not alarmed. He is confident though the Jordan rushes to his mouth. Oh, there he was in the Jordan River. Job came from northern Arabia and came over toward the Jordan. And God said, now you look at that river. What an amazing river. I've been there. Have you been there, friends, that river? When it, when it begins at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, it's already 600 feet below sea level. 200 miles further south, that snaky river dumps into the Dead Sea, at which point it is 1,300 feet below sea level at the bottom of the world. And you know what it does every spring, don't you? It floods as the Sea of Galilee overflows into that river and it becomes a raging torrent. And in Bible times, friends, that was a terrifying thing because you know what happened? Lions, like other animals, fled from that flooded river and terrified people in villages all around. You remember in Proverbs chapter 22, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I should be slain in the streets, just like in chapter 26, 13 of Proverbs. That was a terrifying time, friends. In fact, the king of Babylon was called a lion in the swelling of the Jordan, Nebuchadnezzar, on the prowl. But one animal, here's the point, never bothered to budge. Behemoth just lifted up his head, opened his mouth, swallowed vegetation. He was the king, the master. He was confident, though the Jordan rushed to his mouth. And I say, Lord, how amazing. Well, you know what God told Job to do, don't you? Go west, Job, to the Mediterranean. Look out in that ocean. This is the whole 41st chapter of Job now that tells you about an amazing air-breathing, scaly-bodied, cold-blooded amphibian called Leviathan they could move right up on the shore from the Mediterranean and attack people. No one ever conquered him. No one ever did. Look what it says about him. Job 41, verse 30. He spreads out like a threshing sledge in the mire. He's an amphibian now coming up out of the ocean. He makes the depths boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a jar of ointment. He makes behind him a wake to shine like a ship going down through the ocean. Wow. Now listen to this. Nothing on earth is like him. One made without fear, he looks on everything that is high. He is king 
over all the sons of pride. Sons of pride in Job 28 mean animals. Now, friends, this is no crocodile. Trust me. This was a giant amphibian. And I say, Lord, where did that Leviathan come from? Well, you know the answer to that in Genesis chapter 1, don't you? Now, friends, watch carefully Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. Have you ever seen this before? Watch carefully. On that fifth day of creation, God created the great sea monsters. You say, my Bible says whales. That's fine. They're the greatest of all sea monsters. But the, 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 the Hebrew word taninim means what? Gigantic creatures. And there are all kinds of them, aren't there? Gigantic aquatic mammals like whales. Gigantic fishes, totally different than mammals like whales. Great mollusks like giant squid and octopus. And great air-breathing, scaly-bodied reptiles. No more reptiles in the oceans, friends. They're all gone. But in the days of creation, they were there. Question, where did they come from? Well, they certainly didn't float in from another planet, dear friends. They didn't evolve from something else. They weren't here for millions of years. They were created by God on that amazing fifth day of creation week. And not only marine reptiles, dinosaurs, including Leviathan, but look at verse 24, land dinosaurs, like behemoth. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and what? Creeping things, remesh. Now watch these creeping things. Are you ready? Verse 25. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind. Now listen. And everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was what? Good. Why? All animals were harmless, beautiful, perfect until the curse. Wouldn't you love to have a videotape, friends, of those pre-cursed dinosaurs that Adam and Eve could see and relate to somehow? God doesn't forget those creeping things. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and birds and cattle. And, and over what? And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so in Noah's Ark, they were there too, those air-breathing land dinosaurs. You say, really? They were in the ark? Listen to Genesis chapter 7, verse 7. Noah and his sons and his wife, his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood of clean animals and animals that are not clean. But listen, to be specific, birds and everything that creeps on the ground. Lord, I'm amazed. How could they even fit in the ark? The ark, friends, 1,400,000 cubic feet, 500 plus railroad stock car capacity. All the air breathers of the world, two of each could fit in just one of its three decks. There was room for dinos as well. But friends, they're gone now. They're gone. The second law, the curse, one by one, these kinds are disappearing. But what is still here in the world around us is enough to say, thank you, God, for the things you've made. Dinosaurs in ages past, most of them gone now. Mammals, birds, beautiful things everywhere we see still here. What a wonderful God you are. What a wonderful creator to put us two here, men and women in your image and likeness, and to, to know Jesus, your son, and be glorified in his mercy forever and evermore. And so, friends, we've come to that point in the book of Job where he could actually thank God for everything he could see in the world. Do you and I thank God for what we see? Bad things, good things, perplexing things, strange things. Say, Lord, you're in charge. You make no mistakes. You have told us things we need to know to glorify you and to thank you for who you are and all you've done. 
And so, Lord, help us to be thankful for everything you reveal to us in your world and in your word. Thank you, Lord. That's Dr. John Whitcomb expounding on the glory of God as revealed through his marvelous creation described in the book of Job. We invite you to listen to much more on the subject of Thanksgiving at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. Also, please join us to give thanks at facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries, where we have a special emphasis on Thanksgiving that we want you to be a part of. God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, and it commands us to be thankful. The Apostle Paul warned in Romans chapter 1 that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. So, thinking further about God's attributes being revealed through creation, Dr. Whitcomb, Job 38.1 says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Someone has written and asked about this whirlwind and how it relates to the wind that ultimately killed Job's children in Job 1.19, and also the whirlwind that carried Elijah to heaven in 2 Kings 2.11. Dr. Whitcomb, can you expand on these verses? Wayne, can I say it this way? That is an absolutely terrifying question. How God uses whirlwinds to catch our attention and to make us listen to him. Yes, Job finally heard God answering him out of the whirlwind, a whirlwind that wiped out his family, remember, in the opening chapter of the book. And now God says, in effect, I want you to listen to me. You know, when you turn back to the earlier chapters of the Old Testament, like just at the time of the exodus from Egypt, Look how God got the attention of those hundreds of thousands of Jews who came out at the Exodus. He gave them, through Moses, the Ten Commandments. Now listen carefully. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself. And we will listen, but let not God speak to us lest we die. What was Moses' answer? He said, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. Aren't you thankful, friends, that this doesn't happen every Tuesday or Thursday in our lives? Very rare occasions in the history of the world. By the way, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived, by the way, in many ways connected with Moses himself, was who? Elijah. Moses saw that whirlwind and that fire and that storm, that thunder, didn't he, at the Exodus. Listen to how Elijah left this planet Earth. Second Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. So Elijah and his disciple Elisha crossed over the Jordan. And Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. A wonderful request, a tremendous I want to have twice as great a ministry as you had, sir. Now listen to what happened. Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it came about, as they were going along and talking, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. Now listen. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. My, he was broken in private, exalted in public. And of course, we know that someday he and Moses will appear again on this earth, according to the final chapter of Malachi and the book of Revelation chapter 11. 
And Jesus, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw who? Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah together, anticipating the time when they will be the forerunners of Jesus at his second coming during the Great Tribulation. And so, friends, God has a vast variety of ways to get our attention, doesn't he? Aren't you thankful he doesn't have to bring a whirlwind, a disaster to us every Tuesday or Thursday of our lives? But someday, friends, we'll be caught up too. It's called the rapture. We'll be snatched away from this world and meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds of glory. That'll be a great whirlwind that'll take every born-again person on this planet immediately, instantly, gloriously to his presence in heaven. So whether he uses a catastrophe to get our attention, perhaps a sickness, the death of a loved one, something of a whirlwind in our lives like that, he wants our respect, our attention, our obedience to him, our reverence for him. And I say, Lord, please don't bring a whirlwind. Help me graciously, quietly, in a gentle way by your spirit, through the walking of the word of life in my heart, to bring me to you in praise, adoration, and, and worship and obedience. Thank you so much, Dr. Whitcomb. And we trust the Lord to give you a wonderful Thanksgiving as well with your loved ones. This program is a weekly Bible teaching presentation of Whitcomb Ministries Incorporated. For complete information about our ministry, visit us at whitcombministries.org and also sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb, where we're featuring messages every day this month on the topic of Thanksgiving. Now for Dr. John Whitcomb, I'm Wayne Shepherd, wishing you and your family a very blessed and meaningful Thanksgiving. Please join us next week for more of Encounter God's Truth as we conclude this series from the book of Job on being thankful in spite of trouble.